Welcome, church family. You guys grab a seat. Good morning and happy new year to all of you who are here in the house with us, as well as to the many of you who I know are joining us for church online this morning. Now, let me, let me just ask you a question. Honestly, how many of you are happy to wave goodbye to 2020? Be honest. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of people happy to see 2021 come in. Now, listen, how many of you also know that even in the most difficult, trying times of life, God is still faithful, he is still good, and he still reigns at the right hand of the Father on his throne? How many of you know that to be true? So regardless of what happens in 2021, we are clinging to that hope and to that promise that God is good, that he is sovereign, and that he is for us and not against us. Now, if you've been around for the last couple of months, you know that we've been in a sermon series called I Am, and we're really just kind of unpacking the seven I Am statements of Jesus found in John's gospel. If you don't know, John was probably Jesus's best friend, his closest friend, and so he records a lot of Jesus's teachings for us. And so the seven I Am statements of Jesus, and so we're actually going to uh, kick off the new year by wrapping up our I Am series uh, because the reality is we live in a world that has a lot of things to say about Jesus. Have you noticed that? There's a, there's a lot of things that are kind of just rolled out in our culture about Jesus and we're just kind of supposed to accept them. And so people will say things like, well, Jesus is a, you know, he's a good teacher. Jesus was a, a moral man, so maybe he's a, he's a moral example. He's someone that, that we can follow. There are others in our culture that would say, no, no, Jesus is actually, he's a lunatic, right? He, he's a liar. He's just kind of this madman that walked around 2,000 years ago, kind of frothing at the mouth, claiming his own divinity. And so the world has a lot to say about Jesus, but really what we're trying to do in this series is understand what Jesus has to say about Jesus, Right? We wanna know what he has to say about himself. And whether you're here as a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're here as kind of a skeptic, right? You're just, you're just kind of, maybe you're watching, maybe you're in the room, you're just kind of here, maybe because your, your wife wanted you to come, or your mom wanted you to come, or whoever. You wanna start off the new year right, so you're here, you're watching online, you're here at the church, and, and, and you really, but you're, if you're honest, you're just kind of on the fence about this whole God thing. And you're kind of on the fence about this whole Jesus Christ thing, and especially maybe the, the resurrection from the dead and, and, and all these kind of things. So it doesn't matter to me whether, whether you've been following Jesus for 10, 15, 20 years or whether you're on the fence, you don't really believe any of this Jesus stuff at all. I think that today's text in the Bible is gonna be super relevant for you regardless of where you are in the spiritual spectrum because what Jesus has to teach us today is just that amazing, that powerful, and that transformative in John's Gospel chapter 11. And so if you have a Bible on your phone, your device, your iPad, whatever, go ahead and head there. John chapter 11, that's where we're gonna hang out together this morning. In my mind, this is one of the coolest passages in the New Testament. All right, I just, it blows my mind every time I read it, I love it. Um, one of the things I like to do in New Year is kind of look back at last year and uh, just kind of do some self-examination and, you know, kind of what, man, what was last year about? What did it reveal in me, in our church, in our country, in our world? And I think particularly as it relates to COVID-19 and this global pandemic, I think maybe the primary thing 2020 exposed is just a gripping underlying fear. All right, have you sensed that over the last year? Just this, this gripping, almost palpable, you can almost feel it in the air in our culture, this controlling, crippling fear, not just in our country, but probably to some extent all over 
the world. And, and as I thought about it, I, I don't know that the fear that is so palpable and gripping in our world right now, I don't know that it's necessarily a fear of, of getting sick. I mean, I think that maybe is a little bit of it. But the reality is we, we've all gotten sick. You know, we, we've grown up around viruses and getting sick. And I, th- this is nothing new for us as human beings in the, this broken, fallen world. I don't even think it's the fear of economic woes, although I think that maybe plays a, a little part of it, but the reality is we've had ups and downs economically throughout the years and throughout the decades, and it hasn't created this sort of firestorm of just gripping fear. So the thought about it is, you kind of, I think as you kind of, kind of peel back the layers, I think the fear that has been exposed in our culture over the last year is the, this is the fear. I'm gonna put it on the screens for you. I want you to see it. This is the fear, I think. Someone I love may die, or I might even die myself. And I think when you really begin to kind of peel back the layers and ask the questions like, why is there such a culture of fear on social media and, and mainstream media channels? And you turn on, it's just fear, 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 fear. Why is that? And here, here's the underlying fear, I think, that's been exposed again on the screen. Here's the fear. It's the fear of death. I think that's it. I think once you peel back all the layers... At the end of the day, it's the fear of death. Uh, Hugo Chavez, uh, one of the most f- famous, maybe for the wrong reasons, uh, presidents in our, our lifetime, died just a few years ago. He's just kind of this dictator of a president in, in Venezuela. Just really charismatic guy, ex-military guy, strong man, confident man, charisma, power, influence, lots of money. Dude had access to everything this world has to offer. And, and I just wanna share this with you on his deathbed, uh, he, he was so sick, he couldn't even speak anymore, but he mouthed these words. These were the last words of Hugo Chavez, strong man, military man, charisma man, powerful man. These are his last words. It'll be on the screens for you. I don't want to die. Please don't let me die. The strong, powerful military man that had everything this world had to offer in his final moments on this planet, how heartbreaking is it that those were his last words? I don't wanna die. Somebody help me, please, please don't let me die. I like the quote from uh, Woody Allen. Some of you guys know, know Woody, you know, he's an old actor and a comedian. This is what Woody says. He says, I don't fear death, I just want, don't wanna be around when it happens. I like that. The reality is, I think in some sense, all of human history has been an exercise in trying to escape death. Now, the, the, the fact of the matter is, I think for, for most of us, the way that we deal with death is we just don't think about it. We just kind of we, we push it out of our minds, right? We, so when, when's the last time you just sat down with your spouse or went on a first date and said, you know what, let's unpack our death. Let's just kind of, let's kind of talk about what it's gonna be like, what it's gonna look like, what it's gonna feel like. Let's, hey kids, let's gather up around Christmas. Let's talk about our impending death, right? So we don't. And so what we do is we just busy ourselves and we, we kind of try to fill our schedule so we never have to actually slow down and consider the one thing that is coming for all of us. I looked up some, some stats this week. Today, so before this day is over, Globally, 154,972 people will breathe their last breath on planet Earth. And tomorrow, 154,972 people will breathe their last breath on this planet and the day after and the day after and the day after. 
I appreciate this quote from uh, George Bernard Shaw. This will blow your mind. He says, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. That's the kind of deep stuff you come to church for. Right there, right? 100%. 100%. Listen, death is bar none, the number one fear on planet Earth. And I think what 2020 has done for us is it's kind of stripped away this veneer of composure that we all just kind of projected to the rest of the world. It, what, what 2020 has done is it's kind, of, it's kind of brushed away and washed away this facade and this veneer of, listen, I've got it all together and I'm not scared of anything and all is well and life is good. And none of us really believe that deep down, but I think what 2020 is, it's kind of taken that mask away and exposed our true heart of fear. And it's just exposed this gaping, crippling, terrorizing fear that so many of us live with. So my question is, does Jesus have anything to say about death? And does, does he offer any solution to the number one fear that grips this world in so many of our lives? Now I gotta tell you, as I prepared this week, this, really, this, this text really hit home. I got word about a week ago that uh, somebody that I care deeply about and someone that I love got a report from the doctor right around Christmas time and the report wasn't good. And um, unless God does a miracle, my, my friend has, has days to live. Not months, probably not even weeks, days. And I went over and I spent some time with him yesterday and I'll be going over there and spending some time with him again tomorrow morning. Um, and he's, he's ready. He, he knows where he's going. He's ready to go meet Jesus. He doesn't fear death at all. But, but I just gotta tell you, 2020 has been a hard year. Um, getting this news was hard. I know many of you have suffered greatly over the last year. And I, I just gotta tell you, if, if I really just believe that we were all just kind of a product of random, natural selection, chance, and that when we die, this is all there is, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you, like, I, I can go ahead and tap out now. If that's really all, all there is, is death, disease, suffering, and nothingness in this world, if that really is the case, go ahead and take me out now, right? I would despair of life. The good news is Jesus says there's another reality and there's another solution. So let's jump in. John chapter 11, the setting we're gonna find in this chapter is a very sobering scene. It's a very somber scene. It's a very desperate scene. We're gonna start in verse one. John, Jesus' best friend, writes this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus, Lazarus of Bethany, that's a city, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, this is what you gotta know about Jesus and this family with Lazarus and the, the, his two sisters. Jesus was very tight with this family. Now, we don't know the history behind it. We don't know why they were close, why there was such an intense relationship there. But we do know this. Jesus really, really, really loved Lazarus. And he also loved his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Well, Lazarus gets sick. And he doesn't just get a little bit sick. He doesn't just have a sniffle. He doesn't just have a stomach ache. He gets like, like sick sick. 
like in your deathbed sick. He's very sick. His sisters are desperate. They can see his health declining. They know unless a miracle happens, their beloved brother is going to die. And so what they do is they send a messenger to go find Jesus. The messenger runs a couple of miles, finds Jesus with his disciples teaching. And as soon as the messenger gets there, he goes, Jesus, the one whom you love is sick. Please come. Now, it's interesting to me that the messenger didn't even have to use Lazarus' name. He just said, the one whom you love. And Jesus automatically knew he was talking about Lazarus. That's how much he loved this man. But then Jesus does something really odd, really kind of mind-boggling and mind-blowing when he gets the news that his best friend or one of his best friends is on his deathbed. Do you know what he does? Nothing. He waits. He doesn't just wait for 15 minutes or an hour or a few hours or even a day. He waits for two days while his friend, this dude that he loves so much, is dying in agony. While his sisters desperately watch their brother struggling for breath, fighting for his life, Jesus does nothing. He waits. Now, can you, can you just imagine if you went to the ER, something went wrong, and the doctor comes in after running some tests and says to you, ma'am, sir, I'm sorry to tell you, but you are not going to live past the next 24 hours. And so imagine that you got on your phone and you're kind of just desperate and you called the person that you are closest to in this world, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a kid or a best friend, whatever it is, and you said, listen, I just got the worst news of my life. You know, I'm, I'm about to die. I, I need somebody to walk this path with me. Will you please come and talk to me, be with me, hold my hand, and imagine that that person that you thought was the closest person to you on planet Earth said, eh, you know what, I'll, I'll get to you in a couple days. What would you think? Like how, how crazy would that be? Why does Jesus do this? I mean, doesn't this almost seem cruel of Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us exactly why he does this, even though, some of you may not like to answer. Look at verse 14. It says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake, I, I am glad I was not there. You get that? He's dead. I'm glad I missed it. Why, Jesus? Catch this. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. He further kind of explains and unpacks why he waited in verse four. Look at this. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. Listen to this. This is a reason. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. See, listen, and I, a lot of us don't like this. This mess, messes with some of your theology, but you need to understand that sometimes God will actually leverage our suffering in this world for a greater good. There are times he will use a physical death to bring spiritual life to other people. There are times God will use our pain and our suffering and our loss and our agony to heal someone else's wounds. And so this is the first big idea. I'm gonna put this on the screens for you. If you're a note taker, write this down. Here it is. God, listen, God is always up to something in your life that you know nothing about. Always, like 100% of the time. God is always up to something in your life that you know zero about. One of my fa favorite pastors one time said, um, 
God is usually doing about 10,000 different things in your life and you might be aware of two or three of them. He's usually doing about 10,000 things in your life at any given moment in time and you might be, if you're very spiritual, if you're very perceptive, you might be aware of two or three of them. And so listen to me, when you cry out to Jesus in your moment of need and he doesn't come running right when you think that he should, I want you to understand this, that is not a sign of his rejection of your cries. And that is not him abandoning you in your greatest moment of need. Listen, sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, what we see as and what we call delay, Jesus calls preparation for something great that he wants to do in our lives and through our lives. So friend, listen to me. As we head into 2021, 2020 was hard. We don't know what 2021 holds, but I do know this. We can trust the sovereign goodness of our God because he is always up to something that we can't see. Sometimes, especially when we can't see. Now let's jump back into the story in verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this is important, here's why. There was a Jewish custom in those days, a Jewish superstition, that when someone died, their, their soul would actually um, exit their body and, and hover over the body for three days, trying to get back into the body. And so in Jewish culture, someone wasn't considered truly dead until they had been dead for four days. And so I think that's significant that Jesus waits until there was no doubt that Lazarus was dead. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus when she got to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Martha is saying in a very loving and polite way, Jesus, you're too late. Jesus, it's day four. It's too late. Jesus, you, listen, you had the power to fix this and I called for you and I begged for you and I prayed for you and you didn't show. And now it's too late. Lazarus is dead. He's been in there for four days. There's no hope. You missed the window, Jesus. And I'm gonna guess, especially after last year, especially after last year, that there's some of you in the room, maybe some of you who are watching this online right now and you're in the very same place, Jesus you're too late. You're too late, man, it's day four. I needed you to show up six months ago. And you did, I needed you to show up two years ago. And you did, I needed you to show up when I was a little kid going through, you didn't. So last year in 2020, man, my marriage was hanging on by a thread, but it's too late now, it's, it's buried, it's been in the tomb for four days. My kid, man, I prayed for my kid, I prayed for my kid, and I begged for my kid for decades, and they're an addict now. Their lives are destroyed. God, I, I prayed, and I worked so hard to launch my own business or start this new career, and it folded. And Jesus, that loved one that I prayed for, they got sick, and they died anyway. It's been four days, Jesus. You're too late. But here's, where about, here's what we're about to see, and, and, and I love this. This is, this is kind of the second big idea. This will be on the screens for you. 
Listen, God rarely operates on your timetable, but he is, listen, he is never, ever late. He rarely, rarely operates on my timetable when I wish he would show up, when I wish he would show up and do a miracle or solve some problem for me. But listen, he is never late. Now understand this, you may think he's late. It may feel like he's late. It may look to the world around you like he is most definitely late, just like it appeared for Lazarus 2,000 years ago. But I'm telling you right now, if you belong to Jesus, he is never late. Now Martha continues this dialogue in verse 22, and I love this. Her heart is broken. Her brother is dead. Listen to what she says. She says, Jesus, but even now, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God the Father, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I love Martha's faith here. Her brother is dead. He's been buried in the tomb for four days. She's likely cried herself to sleep more times than she can count. And yet the words that come out of her mouth are, but even now, when all seems hopeless, when all hope is lost, when it seems like it's too late, but even now, Jesus, I love you and I trust you. And I know that whatever you ask for, it will be done. Friend, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you, heading into 2021, you need to get yourself some even now kind of faith. You need to get yourself some even now kind of faith because you, if you got flimsy faith that just every time the, 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 the winds and storms of life blow around, you just kind of bail out and walk away from God, that is not gonna get you through this life. You need some Martha, even now, kind of faith. Now, Martha then kind of, after Jesus says, hey, listen, Martha, I, I see your faith, I love your faith, and I'm telling you, I'm about to do something. Your brother's about to rise. And, and Mar Martha, for all her faith, she, she doesn't actually get what Jesus is, is getting at. So she, she kind of pulls out her Pat Sunday School answer, and she goes, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I know that on the last day, like I've read the Old Testament, I've read Daniel. I, I know that on the last day, there's gonna be this resurrection and there's gonna be this, this judgment scene where, where God is gonna raise up some to righteousness and everlasting life and he's gonna raise up others to everlasting separation from you in this place called hell. Like I, I know all the Bible, Sunday school answers, Jesus. I believe that on that last day, yeah, Lazarus is gonna rise just like we're all gonna rise. And then Jesus says one of the most scandalous things that's ever been uttered in the history of the world by anyone, anywhere, ever. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so she said to him, yes, Lord, I do believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And so I think what Jesus is saying to her right now is, hey, hey Martha, listen, your end times theology is, is right on point. You've clearly, you listened well in your Sunday school class in your small group. You've, you've read the end times books. You, you know that on that last day, everybody's gonna be resurrected, some to eternal life, some to eternal separation from God. Like, that you're, you're right about that, but, but here's what you've missed, Martha. Here's what you've missed. I am the resurrection and the life. This is not just a, this is not just a future hope. It can actually be a present reality for you right now. Now let me say this, I, I, I meet Listen, I meet far too many Christians 
who have this attitude. They get saved, right? So that's just kind of churchy word for they gave their life to Jesus. They began to follow Jesus and became a disciple of Jesus. And as soon as that happens, they kind of take on this Eeyore attitude of life. You know what I'm talking about? You ever met an Eeyore Christian? Just look like they're sucking on a lime all the time. Just no fun in life, man. I gave it all up to follow the Lord. And now I'm just gonna live in misery until Jesus comes back and transports me up to heaven. So I'm just, it's my role in life now as a Christian to be the most miserable human being walking this planet. And I'm just gonna be miserable and I'm not gonna enjoy life and I'm not gonna have any fun. And then one day it's all gonna be worth it because I'm gonna get to heaven. Can I just tell you that is not only unbiblical, that is anti-gospel. If you know Jesus, if you've been redeemed by him, if he set your heart ablaze, you ought to be the most excited, happy person in your neighborhood, Right? We've got all the hope in the world. We've got all the hope in the world. It is anti-gospel to live that kind of life because listen, Jesus says, present tense. He doesn't say, hey, one day, 5,000 years from now, at the judgment seat, I'm gonna resurrect you. That, that would be great. That would be a great hope for us to have if that was all he promised. But he doesn't. He says, right now, present tense, Martha, present tense, I am your resurrection and your life. And what he was saying to her and what I think he's saying to you and I today is the resurrected life is a person in the present that you can know and experience now. You don't have to wait till you die and go to heaven. You can experience this powerful freedom, resurrected life right now. And then it just continues when we die and go to heaven. And I love that. I love that about Jesus' teachings. Right now, today, I can change your life. That's what he's saying, Martha. You don't have to wait until the resurrection of the dead, hundreds of years from now, thousands from years from now. I can heal your hurts today, right now. 2021 can be the year that I restore that relationship that you gave up on in 2020. This year is the year that I could resurrect your heart and your soul. This is the year I could bring spiritual life from your spiritual deadness so that when you walk through the storms of life, I will be with you every single step of the way. I want you to listen to me, friend. Jesus is all about taking what is dead and then breathing life into it. That's kind of his specialty. And so I just wonder for you, what's, what's dead in your life today that needs new life breathed into it? And I'm just gonna tell you right now, I don't care if you grew up in church or a good church boy, good church girl, you know all the Sunday school answers, or this is the first time you've ever tuned into a worship service or walked through the doors of a church. I don't, I don't care where you're coming from. I'm just telling you, if you have never actually placed the full weight of your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and this resurrected new life, I'm telling you, you're dead inside. You may not feel dead, like, man, I'm moving around. I feel quite alive. I'm telling you, you are dead inside. You have no spiritual life inside of you. And what Jesus is offering is to breathe new life and to resurrect your spirit and your heart inside of you. He's the only one that can do that. That relationship that you gave up on in 2020, he can breathe new life into that. That addiction that just kind of kicked your butt all year long last year, an eight-year lunch last year, listen, he can bring life to what is dead. 
There is nothing that is dead that Jesus cannot bring life to. And after this incredible exchange with Martha, uh, his sister Mary, who's still in the house, still crying, still mourning, word gets back to her that Jesus is, he's on the road. And so she takes off out of the house. She's gonna go find Jesus. And all the people that are there mourning with her, they follow her. So now there's this crowd running down the street to meet Jesus. And Mary gets to Jesus and she says the exact same thing that her sister Martha said when she gets there. Jesus, if you had just been there. Jesus, if you had just been there, my brother would still be alive, but you didn't. It's day four. You're a day too late. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. So they're not, they're not crying. These, these people are in agony. They, they, they love this man, Lazarus. They are, they are, they're wailing, they're weeping, they're crying. Listen to the response from Jesus. He was, listen to this, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now that Greek word for deeply moved is not translated very well in the English, I don't think. It literally means to snort with anger or indignation. So the picture is like a, a horse snorting. Have you ever seen a horse that's kind of ticked off and he's getting ready to come? You know, the, I thought about doing that sound effect for you, but I, I don't want to do that. that. In the Greek, that's the picture. Snorting with anger or indignation. He's fired up. Jesus is ticked. The question is, is why? Doesn't he know that he's about to raise his boy Laz up from the dead? Why, why is it that he's angry at this? Here, here's why I think Jesus is absolutely enraged at the sight of the people that he love, loves weeping and crying and his friend Lazarus laying dead in a tomb. Here's why he's upset. Here's why he's angry. You ready for this? Some of y'all need to write this down. Death is not natural. Death is not natural. I get so tired of hearing well-meaning Christians when somebody they love dies and they start throwing out all these dumb platitudes like, well, it's just normal and it's just a part of life. It's just a circle of life. No, it is not. Go back and read the first three chapters of the book. Death was never a part of God's good original design in the garden. Death entered through sin. It was not a part of God's plan. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul calls death the last enemy. It is not natural. It is not normal. It is our enemy. We should rage against death. It should enrage us. It should cause us to grieve just like it did Jesus. It's not natural, not normal, not a part of the original plan. And I want you to know this morning, Jesus hates death. He hates death precisely because he loves you so much. And he hates death so much that he actually came into this dark, jacked up, violent, terrible, depressing world that we've created for ourselves to crush death once and for all. And so when Jesus walked out of that tomb, just like he said he would three days later after he was executed by the Roman government, very much alive, he can now say with all authority, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am your resurrection and I am your life. And life is found in me and me alone. Now that was kind of a side note. That was for free. Here comes a good part, verse 38. Then Jesus, same word, same Greek word, deeply moved, enraged, horse snorting, right? Deeply moved, he came to the tomb. He's upset, 
He's ticked. He's mad. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, but, but Lord, by this time there, is, there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. Now, I, I, I love this. The, the King James, in the King James Version, it says, Martha says, Lord, he stinketh. Lord, he stinketh. Now, maybe the next time your spouse needs a shower, you can just use that. Just quote the scriptures to him, right? Babe, you stinketh. And when they get mad, just tell them, hey, listen, if you studied the scripture a little more, you'd know that's a Bible verse, all right? Actually, don't, don't say that last part. But so Martha hears this command, and you notice her first response is hesitation. She protests. You would think she'd be like, oh, yes! Yeah, now I see what you're doing, Jesus. Get that stone out of the way. I'm about to see my brother again. He's been dead. I can't wait to give him a hug and a kiss. No, 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 she hesitates. She protests. Jesus says, move away the stone. Martha says, but Lord. But Lord, you, but Lord, you don't understand he's been dead for four days. I don't care, move away the stone. But, 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 but Lord, he, he stinketh. I don't care, move away the stone. No, no, you see all these people around here, Jesus? Do you know the smell is gonna make all of them start throwing up and we're gonna have a huge mess on our hand? Like, wait, but Lord, but Lord. Listen, some of you, I'm betting are in a but Lord phase of your spiritual life right now. You are in a but Lord season of your spiritual journey right now because he has told you to do something, but you are Lord butting him like crazy right now in your life. For some of you, he's told you to go and make a relationship right. And you're saying, but Lord, you don't know how much he hurt me. But Lord, you don't know how much damage she inflicted on my life. But Lord, don't you know I've tried, I've tried seven times to reconcile and they won't have any of it. Lord, don't you know that relationship is dead. It's been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus is saying, roll away the stone. I didn't stutter. You heard what I said. Why don't you obey me? For some of you, you've heard clearly from God that you need to go deeper in your spiritual walk. In 2021, maybe it's a spiritual discipline. Maybe you need to start attending church on a regular basis. Maybe you need to get into a community group so you can actually know other believers and let them into your life and get to know them and pray with them and do life with them. Maybe for others of you, God has told you to tithe financially, to give financially, to sow into the kingdom of God, and you, you're just butt-lording. But Lord, I can't go to church, I'm scared. There's a virus out there. But Lord, I can't go to a community group. I have social anxiety, it's gonna make me feel like weird inside. Lord, I don't know what's gonna happen with my job in 2021. I gotta save my money. I can't be investing generously into the kingdom of God. But Lord, but Lord, but Lord. And he says, roll away the stone. Roll away the stone. There's some of you, I'm convinced, man, you, you know that you're supposed to step out of a toxic relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, but, but Lord. Lord, where would I go? I can't afford a separate apartment. I can't, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. So I'm, I'm convinced some of you, God has called some of you to go to the nations. 
to engage and invest and give your life into taking the gospel to the nations and investing in missions, whether it's short-term or mid-term for a couple years or maybe long-term for decades. And for some of you, it's, but Lord, I'm too young. But Lord, I gotta get married first. But Lord, I gotta get my college degree locked in first. But Lord, I'm just getting going to my career. I gotta get that established before I go. But Lord, I just had grandkids. I don't wanna leave my grandkids. But Lord, but Lord, but Lord. And yet, Jesus says, roll away the stone. And listen, we, we've got a million excuses, don't we? And I'm telling you, I, listen, I'm the king of excuses. I'm not casting any stones here, but this is what we have to embrace in 2021 as followers of Jesus. This is big idea number three. Here it is. Obedience is the key that unlocks God's best for you. We don't like that. We don't even like the word obey, do we? And yet, this is the reality of Christ's ministry. Obedience is the key that unlocks God's best life for you. And yeah, it's gonna cost you something. It will. It's gonna hurt, but I'm just telling you, it's worth it a million times over. It's worth it. Listen, believer, do not expect his blessing in your life without being willing to walk in the obedience of what he's already told you to do. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, Martha, you would see the glory of God? So Jesus is like, he's rolling up his sleeve. He's like, man, it's go time, verse 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes, said to his father, father, I thank you that you have heard me and I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out of there. And the man who had died came out, his hand and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, some commentary writers, and I love this, say that if Jesus had not called out Lazarus by name, the whole graveyard would have emptied out. Could you imagine that? Jesus like, oh man, I didn't mean all y'all. Y'all, y'all get back in there. I'll call y'all out later. I'm just talking to Lazarus right now. Can you imagine the party that happened after that? The celebration, the tears of joy. That's my brother. I just saw his dead, decaying body an hour ago. I can smell him. There he is, lies. Could you imagine the party? That ha- Do you think that they were disappointed with the way that Jesus handled this after it was over? Of course not, of course not. Now, here, so here, here's, the, here's the last truth and we're, we're almost done. Truth, big idea number four. Listen, God's plan for your life is better than yours. I don't know if you knew that or not. God's plan for your life may not be what you would choose, but it is always 100% of the time better than your plan. Now listen, Lazarus never would have chosen this path for himself, right? Lazarus never got up one day and said, you know what, here's the, well, let me just chart out my life. I wanna get really sick and I'll lay in bed in agony and, and, and struggling for breath and have my sisters and everybody I love sitting around me crying and praying and then I wanna die. That's the path I want for my life. He never would have chosen that for himself. Mary and Martha, they were crushed by their brother's death. They never would have chosen this for themselves. And yet, do you think that they were disappointed when they saw what God's plan was? Like, hey, Jesus, that resurrection thing was kind of cool, but meh, probably could have gone another route. No, God's plan is always better than our plan. And listen, friend, maybe that's where you're at. Maybe 2020 was a really hard year for you. You don't understand why God is allowing something hard in your life right now, man. You don't don't get why God hasn't 
fix that relationship that you've been praying for for so long. You don't understand why he hasn't stepped in and healed that wound that you've been struggling with for so long. Can I just say, friend, God's plan is always better for your life than your plan. Even if you're laying on your deathbed watching this at home and you die tomorrow, if you know Jesus, understand this, you will breathe your last breath on this planet and your very next breath you will take in the presence of Jesus in his kingdom. Am I supposed to be disappointed about that? Am I I, I supposed to live in fear now? Am Am I supposed to fear that reality? Jesus came, Jesus conquered. Death is now dead and the resurrected life is available to us now. We're gonna close with this. I love this quote by Calvin Miller. Be on the screens for you. He says this, death is not a threat to genuine life. The opposite of what our culture tells us, our world tells us, the media tells us. No, death is not a threat to genuine life. It is but a paper tiger that is no longer free to terrorize us once we know the truth about the outcome of the cross. Death is but a temporary inconvenience that separates our smaller living from our greater being. I wanna go back to the initial dialogue between Jesus and Martha. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked Martha the most important question she ever answered in her life. And I think it's a question that you ought to answer today. After making this bold claim about himself, I am the resurrection and life. Martha, I can resurrect what's dead inside of you today. I can bring life to the parts of your heart and your soul that are dead today. You don't have to wait to the final day because I am the resurrection and the life and you can know me. My power can flow through you in this life. And then he asked her a really important question and he asked her this, do you believe this? Simple. Do you believe this? And so friend, I ask you this morning, do you believe this? Do you believe not intellectually, Sunday school, you got all the right answers. I mean, deep down in the core of who you are, does your heart cry out with Martha, yes, Jesus, I believe you are my resurrection and you are my life. You are the son of God and I will follow you to the end of the age. Is that your heart's cry? Do you believe? Do you believe this? Because Jesus says, if you do, listen, you will never die. Though you die physically, you will live forever. Listen, friend, there's only life in Jesus. And I'm just telling you, in a room this size with as many people as we know are watching online on a weekly basis, I know that there's some of you who don't have this. And if you're really honest with yourself, you'd have to admit it. And maybe you've been a good churchgoer your whole life. Maybe you know all the right answers, but you don't have this. Your heart and your soul has never actually been resurrected by Jesus. And if you're honest, you know it. And I would just say this, friend, 2021 is the year to stop playing games. Who are you trying to fool? Who are you trying to convince? Jesus knows your heart. And I want you to know, listen, Jesus wants you to know him personally 
as your resurrection in your life. Not as a doctrine, not as end times theology, not just words on a page in a Bible. He wants you and invites you to know him personally as your resurrection in your life. And you can do that now. For those of you who are here, man, and you're already on Team Jesus, like you love him, you follow him, you've placed all your faith and your trust in him, let me just ask you this. What area of your life are you not believing that he can bring resurrection and life into your life in 2021? Is your marriage broken? Is it hanging on by a thread? He can breathe life into it. Are your kids rebellious? The drug addicts, they're having all kinds of problems. Listen, Jesus can step into that situation and bring solutions that you never could. Is there a sin pattern that's just kind of besetting you and the sin pattern that just kind of got you enslaved and maybe you're just trying to keep it under control and you think nobody knows and man, you would be terrified if anybody knew what was actually going on behind closed doors. You just got the sin pattern. You can't, can't get rid of it. Just, it's got like chains on you. Jesus can set you free. He can absolutely bring life to that thing that's dead inside of you. Are you afraid? Are you racked by anxiety? Are you depressed? Jesus can bring life, healing, and hope. Listen, friends, he is the resurrection and life. He is your resurrection and your life. Let's press into Jesus ferociously together as we head into a brand new year. Let's pray, and then we're gonna sing. Why don't y'all stand with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that in the middle of a dark world, in a dark season of our history, so many people are losing hope. When so many people think it's been too late, Jesus, you're too late, it's day four. He stinketh. It's too late, you're too late. Thank you that you step on to the scene of darkness and hopelessness and pain and you spread your arms and you declare, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who comes to me, though he die, yet he shall live forever. So God, I, I pray for, for that person or those people who are here in the room or watching this online right now who have never done that. Maybe they're religious, maybe they're spiritual, maybe they know all the Sunday school answers, but they have never been resurrected inside by you. I pray that right now, this would be the day. That they would just cry out to you just the best way they know how. And Jesus, Jesus, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say this. I don't know the right words. All I know is I, I believe, I would say with Martha, yes, I believe you are my resurrection. Not just a resurrection, you're my resurrection. You're my life and you're my hope. And so I don't know how to do this, but I'm, I'm gonna turn away from living my life my way and my sin and the best way I know how. I want you to take control of my life, take control of my heart. I wanna follow you into 2021, the best way I know how. And God, for those of us who know you, who love you, who already follow you, God, I pray that this would be the year. This would be the year that we'd roll back that stone on all those areas that we thought had been dead and we gave up on all those years ago and trust you to bring resurrection and life in every single area of our lives in 2021 because we know that's what you can do and we know that's what you promise. So we love you. Help us to walk faithfully with you in 2021. We ask all these things in the powerful, the beautiful name of Jesus.